Welcome leaders. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. This podcast that I love hosting so much is brought to you by Leadership Excursion Company. Head on over to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule to take a look at the courses that are being offered this spring. There's leadership training for managers, leadership clinics that focus on improved communication, a self-care retreat for women, and a brand new youth leadership development experience all available to you. Leadership Excursion Company also hosts private and custom team building events and retreats for your team. Don't hesitate to invest in either your personal growth or the growth of your team and enroll today. I am so excited because we have Shiloh Warner with the Variegate Group back on the podcast this week. The last time Shiloh was in, we spent a majority of the time speaking about emotional intelligence, and this time we're honing in on two very interesting topics. First is what it's like to implement holacracy, which is a working environment without bosses, and second is having a deeper understanding of gender what the gender spectrum is, and why having this knowledge is important to the future of leadership and work. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Shiloh, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Cree. I'm so happy to be here. I, I'm so happy you're back. I'm giggling because we were just giggling before we started hitting record. <laughs> so we but, were. Um, you know, you and Pam were on the show a while back. I'll have to, I'll put a link in the show notes to your original um, podcast recording. We talked about so much. So diversity, inclusion, gender, like emotional intelligence. We touched on so many different topics and I, I just had to have you back. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there are quite a few things that we specialize in. And so, yes, we do find that folks get excited about some things more than others. Yeah. And so two things have happened since then also. One is I listened to um, an Adam Grant podcast recently called A World Without Bosses. I'll also put a link in the show notes for that one too. And um you know, it just makes me think about businesses and organizations that want to build a culture without bosses, without managers, sure. you know, without leaders or whatever. And of course, I thought about you and Holacracy and your experience at Zappos. Of course, yes. And um, the second thing that happened was I had the distinct pleasure of seeing you speak at a recent event, and you really dove into the topic of gender. Yes. Gender spectrum. And anyways, all of this stuff was so interesting. Had to have you back and here you are. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, where do we start? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Holacracy? Let's start with Holacracy. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I was listening to Adam Grant's podcast, um, there's a particular company, Morningstar, that he talks about in the podcast. But basically, it's the idea that uh, businesses don't have bosses. So everybody is in charge of themselves, essentially, yes. their own job. And I don't know much about Holacracy, 
But I remember when it first came out. And real quick, will you give just a brief overview of what that is? Yeah, a holacracy is a, a decentralized form of um, setting up an organization. So what does that mean? It means that you organize circles and people around the work that needs to be completed. And although it sounds incredibly simple, uh, it's quite difficult to imagine what and how that process um, becomes, right? It's, it's, it's got its own set of guidelines, rules, roles, but really the purpose is to ultimately provide more autonomy for the employee, the company, to uh, allow employees to take action at a much faster rate, uh, to be able to try and uh, succeed or fail, you know, those A-B tests, you know, rapid fire, uh, and to allow uh, a form of creativity to enter that may or may not be squashed in other companies um, due to politics, bias, things that we all we all have struggled with. Mm-hmm. So is it generally putting the the power back in the hands of the employees? Is it more of like a bottom up type of a an approach or it is and it 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 is a format that allows uh, your voice to be heard. Um, so essentially you have a governance process. Um, it, it, you're, you form many, uh, let me back up, you form many roles and circles um, around the work that needs to be done. And how that is handled is, is var- it has varied according to my readings and then according to how we did it at Zappos. It, it isn't very black and white. However, the one consistent is that there is a lead link of that circle. And the lead links really are there to provide the yes or no on the budget. What ultimately will be funded? In the case of Zappos, uh, those folks who were already in management roles assumed, for the most part, assumed a lead link role. It was a great place to start, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As time went on and, and things shifted and the work changed. They were able to form more organic roles based off of folks they felt belong there irregardless of title or previous title. Um, What is called the governance process is it's a process whereby in the meetings you are encouraging a bit more of um, rationality to enter into the conversation. And so there's no speaking over one another. Everybody takes turns speaking. Uh, there's a format where you uh, present your tensions, as they call them. Tensions, as we know it, make us kind of grit our teeth a little, but it's not like that at all. It really is just, here is my challenge. Uh, here are my thoughts on how to solve it. Does everybody agree, disagree? Can you give me feedback? And it's a very organized way of going about the table to do just that. In terms of conflict, which, of course, you could have half the table agree and the other half disagree, there's a great uh, process that encourages the move forward. So what it does, the best way to describe it is it, it doesn't allow fear 
to set in. And so although your idea may be a bit crazy, you go through a series of questions of, well, have we tried this specific idea before and has it failed? Usually the answer is no. You know, can you give me proof that this idea will fail? Usually it's no. And so I think what really Tony loved about this process was it really encouraged creativity and the ability to try, try, and try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in an environment where it's okay to fail, test it. If it fails, then, you know, the team is still going to move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think about, and we are speaking about Holacracy and we are speaking in terms of probably a couple years ago. It's been a few years since you. Absolutely. It were, was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Much. And I think it's important to note like any, um, like any platform process or way of doing things is going to evolve. So we're speaking in terms of what you knew at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I just think about implementing Something like holacracy doesn't necessarily have to be holacracy, but something that that um, is removing the thought of having managers within an organization. And you know, my first instinct is, how is that even going to happen? What does that even look like to transition from a hierarchical type of a working environment into something that is so completely different? I mean, what was that process like? Yeah, it was a process. So you were on the team, right, that helped roll it out? Roll it out? I, was, I was not on the specific team that helped to roll it out. What basically, really what, what happened was, this was something that Tony was very much intrigued with. However, um, of course, always up for a challenge. Uh, we would be the largest company to ever implement it. And we were at that time. I'm not sure if that still stands. And <clears throat> what he felt was the smartest thing to do was to roll out an MVP, you know, minimal viable product. Let's see if this works within a department and what better department to, to, to test it than human resources. Well, and at a software company, right? Yes. I mean, at a tech company where that's kind of how you roll out products anyways. Exactly. Yeah. So I could exactly. see where that would be appealing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I believe they they rolled it out, tested it for two to three years before it was eventually rolled out to the company. Uh, and so, you know, they had a lot of stories behind that, a lot of emotion behind that. And I, I think that it was presented the best way that it could be presented and rolled out the best way that it could be rolled out, right? Like, let's be real. This is a major change, especially in a company that you signed on to or have been with for many years because of their culture. Mm -hmm. The first thing you think of is, is this going to have a negative impact? And so when it was announced at an all-hands that yes, indeed, this was going to be rolled out to the entire company. The human resources group stood up and spent a great deal of time sharing their initial thoughts, fears, absolutely, confusions, told great stories about their journey. And in the end, were very confident that this was really and truly the way to go. Nonetheless, you now have an entire company in the audience thinking, what does this mean for me? And especially folks in 
upper management level. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a manager title and you have a team yeah. that reports you, I'm sure. Yeah. Myself included, you know, I was a director at that point. And so what did this mean for me? Uh, I have to admit I was excited at the thought of it, but also had many questions immediately and uh, wanted to be sure that my team felt safe and encouraged through the process and as such sought to really answer as, as many of those questions as I could. Yeah, so did you just go seek out that information from the group that was rolling it out? What did you start to do to get yourself and your team prepared for this big change? It was suggested immediately uh, at that all hands that we obtain, you know, the, the, the company obtain a book called Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lelou. What had happened was that essentially upper management uh, and middle management had received the book prior uh, to this announcement. We had read it and I was incredibly energized and excited by what I saw. Uh, it was clear that this was the next step in the development of organizations and humans in organizations if you were going to remain or be competitive. Uh, talk about bringing your true and authentic self to work, right? We hear those buzzwords constantly and it's we're kind of tired of it. It's saturated and some of us think to ourselves, eh, it's never going to happen, mm -hmm. right? I don't see it. Uh, but to read example after example of how it does work and how successful these companies are and various forms of self-organization, yeah, it, it got me pumped. I yeah, have to admit it. I, I bet. Yeah. And, and anytime that you give a group of people an opportunity to be accountable for themselves and bring their own ideas to the table and find out and, and realize what they're passionate about at an organization. I think I, I would yeah. be excited too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I'm going to use the term overwhelming, both in a good way and, and they're in, in a fearful way. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, the intention was to move people along quickly to really understanding what the end game was, what that purpose was, which was to take this culture and just catapult it. And boy, was it an exciting time. I bet. <laughs> yeah. And anytime you make a big decision like this, especially with a large group of people, you, you almost have to do it quickly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it had already gone on for a couple of years, it sounds like, so people are wondering and... It had, and and I, you know, with all good intention, it then was rolled out to the company with mm -hmm. the, with the uh, awareness that it was going to take time. However, I think that there was a sense of um, folks who really weren't sure if they could thrive in this environment and they might have stayed um, when they really should have gone. And so uh, there was a time period. Uh, it was made quite public where there was an offer made. And as I think Tony called it, the Band-Aid ripped off mm -hmm. and a decision had to be made. 
do you want to stay or do you want to go? You know, can you really truly thrive in this atmosphere? It is totally different. And how do you even know at that point? Luckily, it had been about a year, if I recall, that you had the ability to practice it. So gotcha. we were in meetings. Yeah, we were we were in meetings, role, you know, putting it into action. Uh, we stumbled, we fumbled. It's uh, a very disciplined form of of communicating and sharing. And we were not used to that at all. As humans, we're not used to that. And mm-hmm. we, we tend to give our opinions and share our insight and tell stories. And that could be considered kind of deviating from the purpose of the meeting. And so, yeah, you, you had to get used to that dialogue. That is interesting because when I think of this type of a working environment, I, I don't think that there are rules. But I guess there has to be. There are rules in the way that you present your ideas and put them into action. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, the fabulous ability to, and of course, the program allowed for transparency through uh, what was called Glass Frog. Funny name, but it, it was a, a software program that allowed you to access notes. Mm-hmm. from other meetings so that you could see how other folks were doing things. You could learn from them. You could grow from it and you could expand even your own circle and your own areas based off of that. So you, you really did have a sense of, okay, is this going to work for me or, or, or not? Right. Yeah. And I imagine that. So the, the rollout took a while, took a couple years, well, two years to plan it. And then about a year you I don't have the exact time, you know. Yeah. I know that the Tony and Fred at that to everybody are, you know, their minds are their those wheels are spinning all the time. They're yeah. so creative. So, you know, from start to finish, but definitely a period of years. It was carefully thought through and presented. I felt in the best way that it it could possibly be presented for such a major change. Mm-hmm. What, in your opinion, are the benefits of moving to, and it doesn't have to be holacracy specifically, but um, an environment where there are no managers, where you know the collective group of employees have that freedom, like in Adam Grant's podcast, have the freedom to make their own decisions and and um, you know operate independently within an organization. What I mean, what what do you feel about that? Uh it. It is absolutely the future. Yeah. It really is. I think you're challenged um, when you're an established company uh, with many employees, a thousand or more. I That shift is, is it's difficult. It really is. Uh, not impossible, but difficult. I believe when you start this way, there's no other way. Uh, my favorite model personally, uh, is the Björtzorg model, which is featured in reinventing organizations. And without going into too many specifics, because of course it's difficult sometimes to imagine these things in a self-org, but they took what I believe to, to be holacracy to the next level, right? And they really honed in on their customer first. It's a, forgive me, it's a healthcare company out okay. of the Netherlands. Gotcha. And recognizing that lives were being saved simply by allowing the nurses to do what needed to be done no matter the time that it took. 
just catapulted this whole platform. Uh, I believe they started with 10 nurses. And they knew that just taking the time to have a cup of coffee and do things that were technically not chargeable, right? How do you how do you equate that in terms of, of salary and, and how much time do you actually allot to it and what is – they removed all of that. Mm-hmm. They went back to the bare bones of this is what my patient needs. You need to trust me that this is what my patient needs. I'm going to do what is needed and come back and say it took X amount of time. Let's collaborate and talk to one another and see if any part of that can be improved or made better. And these 10 nurses just continued with this circle. And I'm going to use that term, just like holacracy circle, where each of them just heavily focused on their strengths and came back and brought more efficiencies and, and more creativity. And the company just allowed them to roll with it. And right now they're... I, I think they're still on the Ernst & Young, you know, number one, number two, top companies, incredibly profitable. I think it's, uh, they ran a number of, of something like it would save $40 billion in the healthcare industry here if we put that model into place, right? But but it requires a lot of trust. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about when did we move away from that? You know, at, at what point in time, because because these, the for instance, I have some friends who are doctors and one of the big complaints that they talk to me about is you know, when they started their career in the medical industry, they had that freedom. They had the freedom to make the decisions. They're the professional. They went to school. They've had the training, the experience. And what has happened is insurance companies, um, other types of decision processes, what, you know, it could be where they work. They're putting these things in place that I think have gone overboard. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a big believer in process, but when it gets in the way, it gets in the way of someone who, who's a professional who can, who can do their job, that trust, yes. you know, um, when do you think that that went away? Hmm. Uh, you know, well, for the healthcare specifically, right? The doctors who used to visit and take the time with a one-on-one pay. I remember it that. Is then. It, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it hasn't know? been that long ago, right? It really hasn't been. It's been that turn, that speed, that bottom line, yeah. that disconnect, the efficiency, right, was not in caring for the individual, but in, yeah, and and and. And I, I don't know the the healthcare um, industry in particular, but I would imagine the malpractice, right? All of yeah, that that's come up, and now you really have to your your bottom line needs to look different if it's going to fund and protect you insurance wise from those happening. But yeah, we 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 are familiar with that, especially in small towns. That those last few doctors that remained were just phenomenal, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's hope we let's hope we move back yeah. that direction, right? The newer generations are they're looking for that. I think they're craving it. They're okay. craving to have the freedom just to make decisions about you know uh, we get we get so caught up in the nine to five and the forty hours a week and um, you know having weekends to yourself or time for yourself, but really it's about I think giving people the ability to make those decisions on their own. Absolutely. And to me, that's what this is really supporting. 
is I know what projects I have to work on. I know what my priorities are. I know that I have to be accountable. And so I am going to plan my day, week, month, whatever in accordance to those expectations. Yes. Right? Yes. Unfortunately, I think we've formed models based off of the few Mm -hmm. who are not accountable instead of those, all of those wonderful people who are to your point. And that's, that's where we've gone wrong. Yeah. But I do also think about this as a manager in a tech company, one of the big things that I was responsible for was making decisions. Absolutely. You know, in fact, I would, I was asked probably hundreds of questions a day, you know, and constantly people asking me, for asking me to make a decision. So in an environment where there are no managers, how how do you facilitate that? It's funny you should ask that because I was surprised when we first rolled out Holacracy and I was eager to embrace it as a manager that my team turned to me and said, but this means you won't be in every meeting with me. So that's correct. You know, time to spread those wings. You got this. And then finally, everyone looked at me and said, but we want you there in those meetings. And I thought, okay, ripping off the Band-Aid, you know, it's not going to happen here in a, in a way that's emotionally intelligent, right? How, mm-hmm. do I, how do I support this but also be there? And, and you, f- you find a way. You, you don't just leave them. You are answering many of those same questions, Cree all day long, but you're allowing them to have their own voice and to bring it back to the table through their own, uh, bringing it to the table with their own vision, right? And tweak it or do what they want with it. But you're always there. And if you're a good manager, you're always there. You didn't just up and leave them. You are always a resource. And I was a little anxious that I would feel lost if folks weren't coming to me. And so I was a bit relieved when I thought, oh, I'm still needed, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and now really the company can recognize these people truly because they're going to deliver the message. That was nice. It was a good feeling. Yeah, and you're still supporting leadership. Absolutely. You know, you're encouraging people to ask questions, make decisions together. Um, it's, there isn't a finality to an answer. No. Right. Never, never. So yeah, it, it was, it was surprising to realize that mm, you still have the same dialogues. You still mm-hmm. have the same challenges and concerns and, and the need, the human need to discuss that amongst others. You didn't then just go off on your own and, and start making decisions without some sort of collaboration. Right. So to, to make, to clarify this, it didn't mean you had the freedom just to go and do whatever you want on your own without, you know, talking to your circle. Uh, so you there, that was one of the, the rules. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, you know, I had, um, one large group that then I was able to bring, break down into smaller circles with, lead lengths. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And what they would do is they would cross 
collaborate with other departments and bring in someone from marketing into their circle, bring someone in, right? You know, the, the different components necessary to allow their circle to be fu- uh, fully functional. And so all of a sudden you have a different set of people at the table coming up with these creative ideas rather than the same group that traditionally had. And I think that was the beauty of it is that now these lead links could really spread their wings and and show what they had learned as well as glean from others within other departments uh, and and just really magically pull it all together. It was exciting to watch. Yeah. It's kind of like a parent watching your, <laughs> right. you know, your kids go off. It's like, no, they got this. Yeah. And it's amazing what they're coming up with and fabulous. This is the whole point of this program. Right. What are some of the challenges you saw with rolling something like this out? I mean, we already talked about transitions got to be hard. I mean, one going from one thing to another that are so extreme, uh, I, I can only imagine. But, you know, I mean, there's there's got to be some downsides to it. What, in your opinion, are those those challenges? It, the There was a lengthy uh, learning curve in the process, as I explained mm-hmm. earlier, very formal. Uh, we're used to being then we were so used to being casual in meetings and really just chatting. And, and really once the meeting started, you, you had to follow this form. You also had different personalities within the facilitator in the room. Now the facilitator was the one making sure they were trained, very well trained, making sure that the uh, rules of holacracy were being followed in those meetings. Some would allow a little more flexibility with some chatter. Others would not. Um, I th- yeah. this, is yeah. not, this is now going to roll into gender, right? This yeah. Is now- <laughs> yeah. We will talk about that. Yeah. That, that yeah. is, that has to be interesting because I didn't even think about that. You know, you could have absolutely have a set of guidelines or rules, but the interpretation and the way that it's facilitated could totally be different. Yeah. It was very different. And yeah. I respected those who really adhered to it. And I, and I also was grateful for mm-hmm. those that didn't uh, because it allowed for what I felt a, a more open, relaxed dialogue to happen in the room, which, you know, is important when you're, when you're brainstorming. But, but the reality is it was to prevent bias. It was to prevent groupthink. Right. And to do that, you really had to draw some lines on on how communication worked in that setting. Uh, so needless to say, <clears throat> that was a big adjustment and, and a very long learning curve. I can't I, you know, I spent a few years with Holacracy and I still had much so much more to learn. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, because your because Zappos was taking on um, Holacracy and at the time was the largest company to do so, was there also a way for you to provide feedback to you know, to I don't know, was it called a tool? Was it absolutely there was a team? Okay, who yes uh, would would accept feedback. I believe that Zappos pivoted a little bit in some of the ways that they they executed Holacracy to to benefit the culture. And uh, you undoubtedly had a channel and constant back and forth. It was a learning curve for everybody. I think it might have even been a learning curve for Brian Robertson, who 
you know, established democracy. Sure, it's really putting his philosophy to the test. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and and so, you asked me about some other struggles too that might have happened um, with holacracy. Holacracy meetings now encouraged a, a a process by which you brought conflict as well. Okay, right. And because you're because you're testing, like you're constantly kind of testing ideas, and so there's the testing of the ideas, but then there's also the conflict, personal conflicts. Okay, gotcha. And now, how do you execute and speak openly? Because that's the culture at Zappos, right? Speak openly about those personal conflicts and the feelings that uh, maybe certain people should have certain roles, or certain roles should be taken away, or accountabilities, you name it. And it became a very formal way of processing those conflicts amongst many people around the table. And I I don't have any facts on this, but I feared that the going out for a glass of wine or a beer and hash it out was disappearing a little bit. And it was happening now in a meeting room in a very formal way and what I felt to be detached. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, again, had I stayed there longer through the process, I could find that that was an hurdle, a hurdle that was overcome. But that, yeah, was definitely a, a result of that shift. Huh, yeah. yeah. Also interesting to me. Now, earlier you said that you believe that this is the future of work. I do. And why do you feel that way? I I believe that the newer generations are demanding it. We already know what the millennials have done for the workforce. Mm-hmm. A, a huge shift in the last 10, 12 years, right? With flex time, with benefits, you name it. Um, lots of lots of names are hurled at millennials, and I feel for them deeply. But the reality is they have made our lives much easier in the workforce. And Gen Z is going to continue expecting that they can bring their whole self to work and that drive and that momentum forward is there's no sign of it slowing by any means what are your thoughts on the gig economy in relation to work uh the reason why i ask that is because i feel like there's also a shift in the way we work you know we're used to going to a job being hired as an employee uh you know and the the way that we all understand work today. But I feel like there's a shift in that people are maybe consulting more. They're breaking out on their own more. Whatever they can do to add that extra layer of freedom to their work. This this was particularly happening in tech. Yeah, absolutely. The pace isn't fast enough. You know, we think that a lot has shifted in the last 10 to 12 years. And what our employees are telling us is that it's not happening fast enough. Mm -hmm. There's an awareness out there. Uh, We know that through every form of, of the Internet and social media that it's instantaneous. New ways of doing things are being shared. Companies are fighting for the best benefits, for the best flex time, for remote, you know, working, uh, and if you don't have it, yeah, uh, yeah, retention's a struggle for yeah. sure. And so it's 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 going to be insisted 
upon. It's, there's just going to be no question about it. Right. Yeah, I want to get into gender, but before we move off of this topic, is anything else about holacracy um, that you that you want to mention that you think that our listeners should consider if they want to adopt something like this? Yeah, I think I touched upon it a little bit earlier where if you decide this is for you as the founder, do it from day one. Don't. Rather than waiting and transitioning into it. Yes. Yeah. Let your employees be part of that learning curve. Let them be a part of the journey. Uh, starting it when maybe when I have five or ten employees is not is not when you should begin it. You will glean so much more and you will stumble together and fumble together and also recognize much quicker when you go to even interview somebody as to whether or not they're going to truly be able to fit within that realm of self-org, your own realm. I mean, as I as I spoke about earlier, there are many different ways to self-organize. It looks very different for companies. And so whatever it is that you choose, just like a, the role that you play within that job is going to be super important to know whether or not that employee is going to be okay and that type of self-organization and play with it and be willing to make mistakes. You know, if that's one thing I learned, we made lots of mistakes and learned and learned from it and expect, expect that, expect to be human. When you say transparency, you better be transparent, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. When you say vulnerable, you better be vulnerable, right? You know, you, you've got to check in with yourself and make sure I am ready for this. And it's okay when it's five or 10 employees, but when it's 500 or a thousand, what does that look like for me? And will I still feel safe being transparent and vulnerable? You know, it's that, that scaling. Yeah. Well, if you want to work in an environment where there's trust, you have to have vulnerability. Absolutely. So I think that's that's uh, kind of what people are after. True. Yes. All right, well, we're just going to do a shift right now. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I, I saw you speak. And when you and Pam were in the first time, we started to talk about uh, gender. Yeah. And I think that we... In, in our society, we think of gender um, in a very black and white way, male and female. And the way that you described it, I just loved because, um, you know, I, I, I think about myself, I, I think that I have male tendencies. And in the first interview, when you came in, you divulged the same thing. Yes. But yet, you know, when somebody looks at me, she's female and they're going to put expectations on me. I should behave and act and speak a certain way. And I will say that, you know, I think that that, that is something that I can point to in my career that probably benefited me sometimes, but also was detrimental at other times. And uh, anyway, I just wanted you to maybe dive in a little deeper and talk about um, the gender spectrum and, and what we should really start to understand about uh, male and female roles, you yeah. know, wherever you're working or in your life. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for coming to that engagement. That, that was, was really fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I struggle with the headlines in the news these days that constantly and consistently focus on the symptoms of the struggles uh, within gender. And when I use the term 
gender. Uh, I do use it in as in this podcast or when I speak as as a binary term. I wish that there were other terms. I wish it wasn't just black and white, male and female. Uh, however, what I usually make clear to my audience is that just because I say male or female does not mean that you don't sit somewhere else on the spectrum other than how you identify with your sex or gender. Okay, so for example, you mentioned it earlier. I have what are considered male tendencies. Uh, Doesn't mean all of my tendencies are, but they are definitely prominent, especially when I'm in the the workplace. And when I use the term tendencies, they're just that too, right? No, Mm -hmm. black and white. And and really the purpose is to to, um, have folks go, aha, oh my gosh, that explains so much, right? But nonetheless, back to, you know, really what our discussions are out there, which is, is the symptoms. It's the pay gap. It's why aren't there women in C-suite or on the board? Uh, when there are women on the board, their bottom line numbers are better, right? We, it's, it's repeat um, over and over again. There's never the conversation behind it. There's never the why. And... It's not that men are evil or that women lack confidence, all these things that we also hear out there. It really has to do with how uh, the corporate world has been set up, which is predominantly male. We can all agree on that. And then how the brain works between men and women and the processing of just day-to-day and information and communication and all of those things. And so what do I mean by that, right? I mean that they're, they're truly, when you track it, especially with the fabulous tech that we have these days, and year after year, we learn more and learn more. Uh, you can track when a female or male is presented with a problem, what is going on? With those those that those cells, the brain, where you're traveling all over the place, are you going more north south? Are you what's happening? You know, as you're posed that question or that challenge, and so that's the beautiful neuroscience that we continually um, are exposed to and evolve through learnings. And what I presented to you really was the introduction of what that looks like in day to day. Okay, great brain stuff. What what do I do with it? Right? Yeah. And, you know, I gave some examples of and this is a favorite one of, you know, a, a sort of man and woman on a long road trip together. And she's looking out the window, but she's got lots going on in her mind. So of course, she turns to him and says, what you thinking? And <laughs> He turns to her or doesn't even turn and says, nothing. And she's thinking, "Mm, how can you not be, how can you not be thinking anything? How can there be nothing? I've got a million things going on. I've got the groceries. I've got the kids. I've got, when we reach our destination, what are we doing first? What are we doing second? What are we doing third? Right? I have tabs open. We like to call them tabs. And men don't. And, and the reason for that that I shared with you in particular uh, is, well, it's, it's many-fold, but in basic terms, uh, women have more blood flow moving through their brain at any given time, about 15% more blood flow than males do. 
And so this will cause a shift in the way that the white matter and the gray matter of the brain functioned. And long story short, that's why women have a lot of tabs open <laughs> at <laughs> right. any given time. Yeah. And and men don't. And Luckies. so I, Gosh, right? Like, can I go into just a bit of meditation there too and think nothing? Yeah, Yeah, jealous, for sure. But where this comes into uh, a misunderstanding oftentimes is in a meeting room. You know, you have women at the table and you have men at the table and there's a, a strategy or a problem presented And women's tabs will start to open up and they're fabulous because they start to ask a lot of questions, right? And this comes out verbally. It's not just in their head, it's coming out. And these questions lead to what ifs. And then these what ifs are, wait, I'm seeing this going down this path or that path. At the same time, as the the females who have those tabs open, you have the men who are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. We're solving for this one problem right now. You've brought up many possibilities. However, I need to get back to this one problem. Please talk to me about this one problem. Unfortunately, oftentimes because of that, more sustainable solutions are missed Mm -hmm. at that table because it is proven that male or female, if you happen to have a lot of tabs open at any given time, you are really truly thinking through the what ifs and the down the road. Uh, So although men are stronger at honing in and focusing and solving rather quickly, you know, challenges posed, females will tend to find a more sustainable solution by using the process of the tabs. And so you have a disconnect, right? You have confusion. You have the perception from the male standpoint that she's all over the place. I don't really know where she's going with this. I'm going to kind of go into my quiet spot right now, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, overload. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I, I possibly might have the answer. If not, I'm, I'm going to hone in on that one question and think of that answer. And this is where we see some idea theft coming into play, uh, because although they might have entered that quiet spot, they're still quite conscious. And often um, when idea theft happens, it's because the gentleman has heard in sort of his subconscious the answer, something that resonates. And it's one of those many tabs that have been open and verbalized by the female at the table, and they will blurt it out. Hey, what about this? And the female who has proposed it already, maybe two or three tabs ago, but proposed it, looks incredulous and says, I just said that. Mm -hmm. I should actually correct that. A lot of females haven't said, I just said that. They quietly sit back and seethe and are frustrated and that builds up over time and whatnot. But I think society is getting more and more used to having having folks, you know, stand up and say, excuse me, actually just mention that, you know, and feeling yeah. safe doing that. We're still a long way, but nonetheless, that's the only fix for it is really to have both men and women recognizing when, yes, indeed, that has been presented prior, but... 
Yeah. Does that make sense? All of yeah, that, it, you know, it actually, going on. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does make sense. And then also, I remember you mentioning um, the importance of other people in the room standing up for that idea and where it came from. Absolutely. You know, and um, yeah, I, I can recall countless times of, of something like that happening uh, that I saw in a room. And when it comes to those examples that you just provided, where does spectrum come into play? Yeah. So as we spoke about at the beginning, you can sit anywhere on a spectrum and you and I refer to the fact that we have more or quite a few male tendencies, um, especially in the workplace. And so I have a tendency to go into a little bit more of a quieter space or to hone in on what is the challenge we're trying to solve at this moment. And I uh, do not, uh, I should say, I do now, but then when I was in more formalized settings, did not pay attention to the many tabs open, did not realize enough throughout the years what kind of wonderful information that was providing me, right? Uh, and so on the one hand, I, I had the benefit of getting along with my male peers uh, a little bit a little bit easier, I think, because I thought similarly, right? It's, it's not, a, not a good way to go. No diversity of thought means not, not as healthy a bottom line. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I believe that was part of my success. Um, and unfortunately, I regret not having all those years paid attention to what a more female mindset brings to the table and encouraging mm -hmm. that conversation and asking them maybe to actually go further down the path they were on, even though it sounded like we were diverting. Uh, in reality, there might have been some really wonderful solutions just sitting around the corner. And I uh, wasn't aware, self-aware enough to know, you know, we're going back eight years now, that I was really, truly processing in a whole different way that was not beneficial. Do you think that that was learned because of the environment that you were working in, that you kind of learned, you know, Maybe this this is what works if I can just f focus on what the real issue is and just find that and then just stick with that. It's really interesting you ask that because when I speak, I often get that question. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was not learned. It was natural from day one. My natural thought process has always been to hone in, focus, not expand, which was a miss for me. However, as I have grown to become aware of it, uh, I do practice. And I use the term practice because, again, it's not natural for me. I practice helping any female mindset or tendency to expand. And I'll give you an example, Pam, who I spoke with mm -hmm. previously. My business partner at the Variegate Group has a very female uh mindset and tendis, many tendis, tendencies, excuse me. And so we'll be, we'll be working at a, at a rapid pace and she will have to say, knowing full well the way that I work, okay, we need to stop for a second. I've got many tabs open right now <laughs> yeah. and I need you to help me process them. You have to hear me out. 
And it's at that moment, because that's what we've agreed upon with our communication, that I stop the honing in and the focusing and the single channel, you know, mindset and go, okay, let it rip. Mm-hmm. Go go down there. And I I can prepare myself mentally and I can really pay attention to every tab that she's opened and the possibilities. And the reason why I know this works is because without fail, it's usually a two-week time frame that one of those tabs comes to fruition. Even though I thought it was f- way too far down the line to think about or it was far too left or right. Sure <sighs> enough. It Right? Yeah. And so I have that data. In the, and so I really, okay, deep breath, I'm listening. And then I get to contribute by saying, okay, I see those as tabs that are going to happen down the line. Let's jot them down. I think for right now, going in this direction is our best. And she's just as relieved to be closing them out and to be moving on to the next and mm-hmm. having been heard. And we work beautifully that way. Yeah. I mean, you're just two people. I mean, imagine adopting that mentality with a group of people. Yes. Powerful. Yeah. And that's why when you read those stats of, oh, well, at least two or three women on the board, well, there you have it, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it really becomes far more balanced in that short-term, long-term thinking. And of course your bottom line is going to reflect, you know, that power. Absolutely. I mean, women hold what eighty over eighty percent of purchasing power. Yes, they do. Yeah, you know. it's getting closer to ninety, but yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing: it's not enough just to have women on your board. It's not enough just to hire women. It's or you know hire and have a diverse board, have a diverse workforce. It's putting that extra work in to understand how to best utilize this group of people. Absolutely. And it's constant, constant learning. It is. It's exercise. Mm -hmm. It's exercise. But the feel good and the things that come together that all of a sudden it's that aha. You can't go back. I've had so many people that I've trained and they just years later say, you you opened my eyes. I, I can't, I can't turn back. Even if I want to, I can't. And that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Gender is not binary. It's not binary. Yeah. All right. So um, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. personality tests, gender, diversity, all of these terms that we hear all the time, will you help me tie all of this together? Um, you know, how does gender impact personalities and, and why should that also mean something to you? Why, you know, around the, all those terms that I just mentioned? Yeah, so uh, surprisingly, it it really doesn't, and that's why our our programs and our services are so broad. Uh, behavior uh, one uh, one of our top services is is in the behavior realm, and so lots of folks say, "Oh, yes, well, I've taken Myers Briggs and I've taken DISC, and I know who I am," and and those are wonderful. They're they're amazing, and I'm so happy that. Many companies have adopted them, but we wanted to go a little bit deeper. We wanted to understand behind that, what behaviors do you exhibit? And what does that look like for you on a day-to-day? What truly drives you and what really exhausts you? And oftentimes, we we aren't aware of that. 
Uh, we have a sense of it, but no one ever lays it out in black and white. And so that's, again, we love our data. We love our, you know, we love the the neuroscience of everything. We we lay that out in black and white. And behavior um, is formed between the ages of 2 and 17 and does not shift. And so regardless of your season in life and what's happening, personality, your personal reality, as we call it, will shift. Behavior will not and so establishing that and fundamentally knowing who you are and who you're always going to be no matter what is going on uh, is incredibly important when you go to commit to that position, right? That workplace, um, the partnership, the entrepreneurship, whatever it might be, it's it's invaluable. And so we we definitely work quite a bit in that in that realm. Mm-hmm. And then we'll layer on uh, emotional intelligence and depending upon what, you know, folks, what we diagnose as sort of your first step, where do we fundamentally think things are, are you're struggling and you're going to find the, the biggest aha, the fastest one. We want the feel good, but we also want that bottom line to yeah. increase. And so emotional intelligence, uh, you know, is a, is a common one. It's definitely another brain you know, focused, where do I sit on the spectrum? Again, it's spectrum based. Mm -hmm. Everything is, there's no black and white. Mm -hmm. Uh, And does that shift? It does. That is something that can be learned, taught. Uh, You can grow within that. And there is no pass fail on any of this. Mm -hmm. It's just where do I sit on that spectrum so that when I interact with folks, I am being the best that I can be, and I'm challenging myself, and I'm also aware of of whom I'm working with and speaking with and interacting with. So, yeah, just, I know, lots, lots of layers. I mean, the more information you have about yourself and your team, the better, right? The more understanding, uh, it's endless. Um, You know, I, I liked how you said there's no yes, no, and that also means there's no right and wrong. Correct. You know, we, we are who we are and mm-hmm. I love the work that you and Pam are doing to open people's minds. And I love that people are uh, doing these types of assessments and open to going down a road of self-discovery and learning. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. We're yeah. pretty excited about it. Yeah. Thanks for coming back again and sharing your insight. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Great. Always enjoy these mind-stretching conversations with Shiloh. All references mentioned in today's episode are in the show notes. If you have not done so already, one small action that makes a huge difference for our show is to leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. This helps people find us. And finally, if you're interested in investing in either yourself or your team, Head on over to leadershipexcursion.co for team building, manager training, leadership training for adults and teens, and professional development opportunities. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Thanks as always for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.